Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Matis, and I'm joined once again. He's back, fellas. Only missed one show. Absolutely. My colleague, Legs, it's good to have you back. Yeah, man, good to be back. Good to be back. A lot going on. A lot of storylines here around the league. and Oh, no. All starting to get into like the changing dynamic in the top of the Eastern Conference with what's going on with Embiid, the Knicks, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is going to be a good discussion. This is exactly what today's show is about, at least the first half about it. The Knicks and the Cavs, both on the climb. Last night, Maxie carried the 76ers with 51 points, but are the 76ers on the decline? And then, of course, we're going to talk about some of the news and notes around the league, including a trade that happened that I find actually surprisingly interesting. All-star votes and who won the week. We'll get to all of that and more on today's show. But first, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code All-NBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings is the one is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Would prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs, we're going to start with the game of the night. The Pacers come into New York, into the Garden. Great matchup between two very good teams, but the Knicks were shorthanded. No Julius Randle. Um, and miss, actually missing a handful of players throughout this one, but they gutted out thanks to the tough play of Jalen Brunson. The play of the night for me, he gets poked in the eye. He goes down, clearly in a lot of pain. There's a timeout. There's two minutes left in the game, and you're down one, and he gets an and one to go up. The crowd loved it, and it, to me, it embodied everything about this Knicks team, that play, that moment, uh, and, of course, they go on to get the win. What stood out to you in this game, and, and what did you think of that play? Yeah, I, well, a few things stood out to me. I think, one, first of all, give Indiana credit, man, because they played a great game, and I have a feeling – I have a feeling – that winning streak may have may have come to an end last night if Halliburton wasn't on a minutes restriction. Yes. Because yeah. they they were playing great. He he was in a great flow. Um and they had a lead. They got outscored by 9 points in the fourth quarter. You didn't really see Halliburton out there. I, I, I that's a whole nother discussion for another show is minutes restrictions. It's the it's the most odd thing in the world to me. Well, because, let's get into it real quick, real quick, right. because I agree with you about a lot of this, but hamstrings are the one thing that I understand because hamstrings are the one tricky thing where it really does seem like fatigue impacts those until they're fully back. So that's the, I kind of understand it in this case. Yeah, I hear what you're saying and I agree with you on that. I'd say the same thing probably about a groin, yeah, right? Yep. Hamstring, right? I, I, I kind of agree with fatigue is something you got to watch out for. What I'm saying is, when a guy is clearly not fatigued right. and, you, and you make up a predetermined decision going yeah. into the game, 22 minutes or whatever he played, I think it was 22 minutes, 22 minutes. That's, that's, that's the fatigue limit for him. Even though the, the dude wasn't breathing hard, he had yeah. great balance and energy in everything he was doing. So it's like you played him. So you know, right there's a risk if you think he's not 100% right. You played him, right? So then let let the guy let the guy play until he indicates that, hey, I need to blow, man. I'm getting a little winded. And then, yeah, you probably want to get him out because of what he's dealt with. So I, it was just a weird thing. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Knicks, Knicks, great win. They got it out. They played so, so tough defensively in the fourth quarter of this game. They had multiple guys on the offensive glass. Precious to Chew and Hartenstein at the top of the list, man, giving them second shots. And then Brunson – 
did what he normally does late. He got some help from, from DiVincenzo, who kind of had a weird game. He's super hot early, then really struggled to make a shot most of the game, and then he made some big ones later in the fourth quarter. And overall, I think he got up 20, 26 shots, 56 shots between Brunson and uh, DiVincenzo. They felt like they were back at Villanova together again, I think. Um, but So I thought Indiana played a great game, but the Knicks – found a way to tighten the screws on them when they had a hard time guarding them most of the night. Their defense in the fourth quarter is what this Knicks, Knicks team embodies, man. Their ability yep. to just outwork you when they have to outwork you and then put the ball in the hands of a guy who is just completely unfazed. You can't take the ball out of his hands successfully. You really can't keep him from his spots. He makes big deep shots when he needs to, and Brunson was sensational once again. And then yeah, the reaction he's getting from that hometown crowd right now. Could you imagine, Adam, if somehow, some way, one day, Jalen Brunson is able to lead the New York Knicks to a championship? Can you imagine? Like, he's already feels like he's got folklore status yeah. in New York, yeah. right? With what he has done to re-energize this franchise yep. at that key position that they haven't had in so long. They've had so many point guards run through there, and now they finally have their guy. And the way that that crowd reacts to him and everything he does, and he just seems to deliver time and time again when they have to have him in the fourth quarter. So another great performance out of him on a night when they took advantage of the fact that, uh, you know, Indiana star player was not able to be out there to help settle matters. I love when athletes connect with their fan bases the way that Jalen Brunson has. And there's a great story there. You know, his dad playing with, with the Knicks, playing under Tibbs. And then Tibbs told, told a story last night about, um, you know, how he saw Jalen Brunson at six years old impersonating some of the uh, Knicks greats of, of that era. And you kind of love it. Like, he is a guy that seems to understand what it means to play for that franchise and is delivering for them. So, so I love it. And you're right. That play does embody the Knicks. This is the thing. I love when a best player sets the culture for the entire team and then becomes the personification of that culture. And Jalen Brunson getting poked in the eye, being furious about it, going to the bench, kind of stewing for a second, then coming out and making that play just embodied all of the like, that's your best shot. You know, like we'll take your best shot every single time. And I absolutely loved it. You are right though about the Pacers. We do have to caveat this, that it was a weird game for them down the stretch. And as the Knicks have done a lot, being tough in the fourth quarter, they did do that but I wanted to see if the Pacers could match that toughness because I think they're another team that has a little bit of that um, in them. But, you know, they're so shorthanded. And to keep this streak going with the Knicks, I mean, they are in a heck of a role right now. I'm so impressed with them. And I'm starting to ask myself, There's we've had a Celtics, Bucks, 76ers tier for all season long. I'm ready to break that tier up. I no longer think it works that way. I think the Knicks have moved into that tier with the Bucks and the 76ers. I completely agree. And I'm going to take it a step further. And I think, look, we haven't worked together too long. Well, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. But I think you would agree. I'm not a guy. I'm not a hot take guy. At right? all. I, I give you stuff that I genuinely think and believe over a period of time. I, I come to conclusions. And what you're saying right now, first of all, I totally agree with you. The Knicks deserve to be in that category. Now, it's unfortunate for them the timing with Randall going out, but let's especially if they you know they go five and four, six and three, whatever this stretch before the All Star break without him and Brunson's leading the way, and then they get him back. Yeah, they're, you, they absolutely deserve to be in that mix because they are going to give anybody fits that they play in the postseason, and with what's going on with Philadelphia, because it, look, no matter, and this has just been very vague about what they're telling us about Joel Embiid, right? That. Very strange. Like th that injury happens. Usually that MRI happens the next morning, and then you give conclusive MRI results. The MRI results show this. Okay. It is a torn meniscus. It is, it, they show no structural damage, is usually what they'll say when it's not like that. Right. Very vague about what's going to happen here. There's a meniscal issue. They haven't right. exactly said what that is because there's the varying degrees of meniscal issues. I'm an right. expert in it. I had a bunch in both knees, and they haven't really given you that. But here's what I do know. I think that's going to bother Joel Embiid the rest of the season. I think he's going to be in and out of the lineup. I think he's going to have a hard time controlling the swelling. Unless they shut him down for a really long period of time right now to just try to get him back a few weeks before the playoffs start and, and then have a healthy run, that's that's possible. They might go that route. Well, if that's the case, Philly's really going to fall back to the pack without him, and they're probably going to lose in the first round. Um so I think Philly's now kind of taking themselves out of that mix a little bit with the Embiid injury, and the Knicks have jumped in there. 
The Knicks right. belong in that category with those teams. I'm not saying I would pick them to beat the Boston Celtics. I don't know about the Bucks. I mean, if they have a healthy Randall, let's. I'll, I don't have to make that prediction because we're not there. We're not there. I yet, wouldn't yeah. pick them to beat the Celtics if the Celtics are healthy. I can tell you that. I don't know about the Bucks. You know, if the Knicks end up in three and they get the Bucks in a second round series, I'm not sure because at that point you'd have to see how the first round went for both teams, and it would give you a better idea how you felt about the Knicks' chances in a series like that. Yeah. Um, but the the point is that you're making they deserve to be in the conversation. And, and rather than just talk about those top three the way we have all year, completely agree with you in that. I like when a team has an identity, like a, a well-defined, this is what we are and this is how we win. And right now the defense is incredible, especially when they have OG Ananobi, which they did not, um, you know, last night. But they, when they are healthy and they have their guys, the defense is overwhelming. The toughness we talked about uh, previously this week. But then the rebounding, in particular the offensive rebound. They had 24 offensive rebounds. Indiana, not a good rebounding team, so it was a little bit of a strength versus a weakness. But that was the fifth most offensive rebounds this season in a game by a team. And it just doesn't feel like an anomaly to me. They have guys, you mentioned Precious Achua. Isaiah Hartenstein is, is, is good at this. Josh Hart from the guard spot, really good at this. Randall's good at this when he comes back. So th this is a strength that I just think every team in a playoffs, offensive rebounding is not a thing you always think about as like we have to account for it. They're one of the teams that I feel like you have to account for that. You have to account for we have to game plan for how to keep this team off, these, off second chance points. And even if you game plan for it, odds are you can only mitigate it from them because they so consistently dominate that, that one trait. You know, what's interesting, Adam, is a lot of people, when that trade went down for Ananobi, they didn't really notice Precious Achua was in the deal. Right. I, I yeah. really like Precious Achua. I have for a long time. You got a valuable player, and he's proving that to with what he's doing right now for the Knicks, and he'll get more opportunities here with Randall out. Those are prim primarily going to be his minutes he's going to gobble up. And he, he didn't finish great last night. But he had 16 boards. He was all over the glass, and he's a very good, conscientious defender. He's only 24 years old. So that was mm. more than just a throw-in. Precious Achua is a guy, and I think Tibbs probably right away recognized that this is somebody that kind of fits their culture because he is tough. He's hard-nosed. He, he really likes to compete physically. He, he likes to put his body in the mix, and he really you know did the job on the boards last night. Now, what I was going to say a second ago about talking about the hot take thing, and I don't really do that. I was thinking about this, though. When we start talking about the Knicks and putting them in this class, and, and are they now one of those teams that's that's relevant in the East in terms of challenging? And I, we both agree they are. And I think for me, here's what it comes down to, Adam. Jalen Brunson, when I look at his game and look at the way he's built and the way he just seems to absolutely thrive under the light, under pressure, big moments, he just seems to deliver. And I started yeah. going up and down the, 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 the Eastern Conference. And I started looking at all these teams. And I'm going to say some names. And I want you to tell me, I mean, we could debate or disagree. Tell me which of the guys I'm going to mention you buy into more in a big spot to absolutely deliver when you have to have it in a big game, big moment than Jalen Brunson. Yeah. Because oh, I'm oh. You, there's some surprising names in here that I would say Brunson over. Yeah. That's how convinced I am Convinced I am about this guy's big game ability. So right. let's start with right at the top, Jason Tatum. Right. Like, right. Do, seriously, do you, do you buy more into this is, this is, you know, two, two best of seven series. This is a series, pivotal game, defining game, big moment. Who do you buy into that? Like, you're more certain is going to show up and have a big night. And, ha and deliver, like really, really be good at the top of their game when their team has to have it. I think I might actually need, need a nod to Brunson right. in that category. Jalen Brown, I probably would go Brunson. I'd probably right. go Brunson over Damian Lillard in that situation. Now, hmm. not Giannis. Giannis, you know, I know the free throws come in and whatnot, but Giannis is going to dominate in so many different ways. He is absolutely going to show up in a, in a big moment. But Lillard, he's had games where he was quiet in those situations. And if he's not making shots, he's not going to be running the team the way Brunson is. He's not going to be doing those things, you know, getting on the floor after loose balls the way Brunson does. So I might give the nod there. You look at a guy like Embiid. 
And Bede's banged up all the time, and he's had mystifying moments in the playoffs some nights where he really has struggled. So I don't know if I'd if I'd go and Bede necessarily in that spot. And that's my point. At the end of the day, my belief in the Knicks, yeah, I love their style, their toughness, they outwork you, all those things. It's Brunson. It comes down to Brunson. The guy is going to show up when you need when you need him the most. He's going to deliver, and it's, it's starting to be proven to me. You can't really figure out a way to game plan to limit him. He's too good with the ball. He's too strong. He's too right. smart. Yeah. And when he, when he's making deep shots, now you really don't you don't really have an answer at all because he's going to get where he wants to on the floor. So I just started thinking about it, man. I'm going up and down these teams, and I'm going. Why wouldn't the Knicks be in this category with these top-tier teams when they've got a guy like Jalen Brunson, who I believe in just about as much as anybody in the Eastern Conference? I'm going to ask you this question about this because I know I've talked to a lot of Nuggets players, and they've said the same about Jokic, that half the value of knowing that a player like Jokic, or in this case Brunson, half the value in knowing that they're going to perform under pressure is it takes pressure off of everyone else. So I wonder, like, in your experience – when your best player is a guy that you have total confidence in, like, all right, well, he's going to deliver, so I just got to do my job, versus did you have experiences where it's like, I don't know if our best guy is cut out for this, and it makes everybody else a little bit nervous. Do you, As a player, did you experience that phenomenon? Oh, definitely, and I, I don't necessarily want to drop names. Cause sure, I of course. That. You're 30, you know, whatever, 25 years removed you know, from sure. some of these teams, 30 years. It's just I don't like doing that. But, as yes, a concept, 100%. though. 100%. 100%. And I played with a lot of star players. I played with a number of guys, Hall of Famers. You're absolutely right. And I'm going to tell you what that does to, to the rest of the team. When you start playing and you kind of see that maybe the guy that you really need, you know, that, that guy that's your 25, 30 point scorer that, that you run your offense through, that like you have to have, is kind of not there mentally, struggling, feeling the anxiety, feeling the pressure. What that ends up doing is it absolutely that pressure is transferred to the rest of the team because yeah. now you have guys that have a specific role that maybe feel like they've got to come out of that role and do a little bit more and, and you just general anxiety hanging over the team if that guy's in that spot whatever's going on between his ears you've got a problem and so it's the exact opposite when your guy comes out and he shows you he's here and he's comfortable early no matter what the circumstances no matter the physicality of the game no matter the officiating whatever it is that guy's here and he's playing his game and doing his thing it's amazing how much that does to relax relax your bench and relax your locker room absolutely that's just how i feel about that team when i watch him is i think everybody has a job to do the ball finds the right guy although it's often in, in brunson's hands but at the end of the game he's going to dial up his own a, a, a aggressiveness a little bit more and everybody else understands if the ball comes to me it's because i'm going to be wide open but he's going to take it from here we just got to put him in position i love brunson i can't believe how good he is i mean he's a great story uh, you know just his whole arc and when he got traded when the knicks took him or i should say in the offseason when the knicks took him away from dallas and i remember that contract i was one of the guilty ones that was like man reaching on that contract because i like him he's a good player but he's not that he's absolutely that and the knicks are lucky to have him um, and I just buy it. Any final thought? I mean, they are going to have to play without Julius Randle here. I love Hartenstein, who's really coming into his role. 12 points, 19 rebounds, 6 assists. That's an insane stat line. 12, 19, and 6, a near triple-double with 19 rebounds. He just does his job. I like the pieces they have. I think the Randle missing Randle's interesting because he's such an important piece, but I almost, for like them, their ceiling, but I almost feel like as a regular season piece, they can survive without him. What do, what do you think? I completely agree. And look, last night to me is you just look at the way that they played overall offensively. They shot 39% from the field. Yep. They made eight three pointers, eight in a league where a lot of nights, you know, minimum teams are making 12. Good night, they're making 20 plus. That's the range in this league. Most nights, most teams are in that like 14 to 18 range. That's what the league is. They made eight threes, they shot 39%. DiVincenzo and Brunson really took the majority of shots. Achua took 16. Uh, they got a nice boost, by the way, out of Miles McBride. He was really, right. really good yep. for them, particularly in the second half. But that's my point. They don't rely on the shot making. It's it's That is secondary to what their core values are, which is play harder than the guy in front of you. Just do your job and play harder 
than the guy on the with a different color jersey on that you're looking at. Yeah. If you take care of just that, staying in that lane, outplaying that guy in terms of effort, and then you think about what that does collectively, that's who they are. So even on a night when you don't shoot well in any end, I thought played very well in this game. Um, they did what they had to do when they had to do it. And they're, they're turning up the heat, by the way, defensively and just energy. It looks different than other teams turning up the heat. It's just more frantic, particularly in that building. Like the energy at Madison Square Garden, when you were watching a game on television, and I'm very lucky, I'm very blessed, by the way. I'm going to go, I'm calling the Celtics-Knicks game from the Garden on ESPN Radio at the end of February. I am super oh, excited to be, to be in the building for the Celtics-Knicks. Yeah, this is after the All-Star game, so hopefully Randall will be back. Like I can't wait. To, to pick up on some of that energy. I haven't been in the garden all year, but even watching on TV, Adam, what you're getting through the screen, it's just feels different than every other yep. place in the league. Yep. And, and the Knicks play with a desperation that they will do anything to come up with this ball, to get this stop, whatever it takes. It means that much to them. And that's, that's a credit to Thibodeau. It's a credit to Brunson, his leadership, Fans are super locked in there now. It's, look, man, we can't possibly be any more effusive in our praise for the New York Knicks, but they deserve every bit of it, man. Nine straight, climbing all those rungs in the East, and now they are absolutely in that mix that, that they are going to challenge Boston and Milwaukee. I think it's very difficult in the NBA to get perfect alignment between front office, coach, and star player. And I think that they have that. Because they clearly, this is a team, you think about D'Antoni's seven seconds or less sons, a team that embodied the ideals of their coach. You think about Pat Riley's Knicks maybe in the 90s, a team that embodied the ideals of their coach. This is a team that it seems to be the perfect Tibbs team. And the front office created it for him. The star player clearly fits that mold. And they just, they, I mean, Tibbs looks like, you never see Tibbs smile. He's smiling every press conference right now because he knows he has a team that he just loves. So I'm with you. I moved them up in the standings. Mean, already in the standings, they are the three seed. The 76ers all the way down the five seed. The Cavs are four. Um, and they're only a half game behind the Milwaukee Bucks for the two seed. And I look at those numbers. I don't know where the leading's going to wind out, but I just put all those teams in a tier together. Let's... um. Legs, let's take a break. On the other side, I just mentioned the Cavs are the four seed. They've also passed the 76ers. They're the other team that is on a nice little run, and they got a win last night um, despite losing Jared Allen in the third quarter. So we'll talk about that on the other side and where the Cavs fit into this whole equation. But first, the NBA, it's in full swing. If you can't get enough of the action on the court, spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers bet $5 and get 200 instantly in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. Maybe you want to make a little futures bet. Maybe you think the Knicks are going to the conference finals and you're feeling hot takey about that. You could probably place that bet right now. I'm sure there's good odds on that one. Maybe you're buying Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs. Go ahead and throw that bet down on the future. Um, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code ALLNBA. New customers bet $5. Get 200 instantly. Only when you use code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you're trying to get a ticket to an event, it's Friday. So, of course, it's a good time to hop on the Game Time app and check out what's going on in your neck of the woods, whether that's a sporting event, concert, or something else going on, Winterfest. You can get tickets on the Game Time app. People are buying and selling, and you can get those flash deals last minute. So if you don't have plans for the weekend, you can make last minute plans. They also have that all-in pricing feature, so you don't have to guess what the fees will be when you check out. You'll know exactly what it is right on that front screen. So as you peruse what seat to get, you don't have to guesstimate. You can just know exactly what the number is. So download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code ALLNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code ALLNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Another game that happened last night that was of particular intrigue to myself was the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, snagging another win. 108-101 over the Memphis Grizzlies. They lost Jared Allen. Uh, they did not play Evan Mobley, who 
They're they're also taking things slow as he comes back from his own knee injury. So he was a load management game tonight. And in the third quarter, Jared Allen went down tragically with 14 points and nine rebounds, snapping what was a franchise record 16 ga straight games with a double-double. He did not get it because he went down in the third quarter with nine rebounds, almost certainly would have kept that streak going. But they got the win anyway. So a little bit of adversity against the scrappy, a Memphis team that was playing very scrappy. What stood out to you about this one? Well, Memphis controlled the game uh, for large portions of it. I just thought Cleveland played so well down the stretch, very poised. Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell probably the biggest shot of the game, up one with a step back three. Oh, that was crazy. Uh, left wing yeah he he and i love his stat line you know 10 for 19 like for him to get 25 points and do it like really efficiently that's when i think cleveland just looks like a different team if he's a really super high volume shooter to get his number they look different they can beat you multiple ways like the knicks they, they're really good defensively when they want to dive in they held memphis to 43 points in the second half of this game 43 points is a lot of teams are get that in a quarter now and they held them to 43 in the second half at home and then just the shot making down the stretch and the plays that they made down the stretch because this really was basically a tie game even game two right. minutes to go yeah. could go either way and they were the team that played with with the poise and it wasn't just yeah. mitchell they got contributions from other places too lavert uh big big play out of struce so these this was a situation where you're playing a team that's struggling on the road and if you really want to be a team that's taken seriously as a legit contender like we just talked about the knicks if you're the Cavs, it's the kind of game you win. It's a one-possession game late against a team like Memphis. doesn't matter where you're playing the game. You're supposed to make the plays then down the stretch, particularly when you've got your star on the court, um, and they do not. And that's what Cleveland did. So I was just impressed with the way they closed this. Are you impressed with the depth Cleveland has been playing with? Because we think about the big players, but they just got Garland back. They just got Mobley back who didn't play last night and they lose Allen, but they were able to kind of like, they have a lot of guys that are contributing right now, including Sam Merrill, who's on the, the nicest heater in the NBA. Are you, are you impressed with the depth that they played with? Well, I am. And, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with it. And it's primarily some of these guys, primarily like they, they fit what they want them to do, which is come in and shoot threes. Merrill, you know, Niang, Struess, those guys are all similar in what they do. They get any daylight. They're going to let it fly. I don't know if it's, they're going to play all of those guys in the postseason. You know, when, right, when you get right. into, you know, you know, you got three elite level guards with Levert as your third guy, Mitchell and Garland. I mean, that's as good at the guard spot as you're going to have in the Eastern Conference for three guys. They're the majority of the guys that drive your offense. Then you get, your, you know, you get your double doubles out of Jaron Allen every night. You get close to that out of Mobley with the two bigs. And then you've got this like stable of three point shooters. I don't know if they can all play in the playoffs or if they would trust them all to be out there when you get into best of sevens and, and teams can start to really exploit matchups and things like that. I'm not sure going forward, but right now, those guys fit the way the Cavs want to play, which is spread it out around, you know, Mitchell and Garland's ability to penetrate. And then you got the bigs inside pounding on the offensive glass and everybody else just spots up at the three point line and they just wait their turn and they let it fly. And it, it's a, it's a tough formula. Uh, to be it's a tough family to defend because their three guards are so good at winning one on ones and right. getting into the paint against you. So look, they've got they've got a nice um, balance with their team. They kind of check every box: size, guard play, isolation play, and shooting. They've got all four of the main elements you need offensively, and then they're really good defensively when they when they yep. need to be. So they're an interesting team. They're very similar to the Knicks. In, in terms of how you view them, do they belong in that upper tier, that hierarchy in the Eastern Conference? I think that they're probably right there. They're looking the Knicks eye to eye, and those are the two teams now that have convinced us we need to let more people into this party at the top. I know you don't love the either-ors, but I think that Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson are really interesting comparison because they're both leading their team. Those are the two hottest teams in the NBA right now, the Cavs and the Knicks, and they're both kind of in – same role, but do it, go about it differently. Is there one you prefer over the other, or how do you compare and contrast those guys? Well, I didn't know. I don't know if I said him um, earlier when I was given that list of guys that I would take Brunson over in a big spot. Mm -hmm. I would put Donovan Mitchell in the same boat. I think I'd take Brunson in terms of just sure money. You yeah. know, you know what you're going to get tonight at Brunson. I just don't see Brunson like having one of those nights in a big spot it, because he – 
he gets where he needs to. Like he's going to take high percentage enough shots to make sure he doesn't have one of those really tough nights where he's forced to take a lot of long contested jumpers because he's got the mid range and he gets to the line. He's really good at selling calls. You know, he's dribbling the basketball. He's got a lot of, you know, a lot of this motion with his head and shoulders to try to draw those calls when they're in the penalty. He gets a lot of those. Um, finishes much better than a guy who doesn't really jump well should, and he's not blazing quick. But somehow he's finishing everything around the rim. So I, I just think it. Look, it's it's six one half dozen the other to be honest with yeah, you, and I'm not trying really to like Mitchell in any way. But you're asking me to to make a pick between either of those guys in like big, big, big spot, bright light. I'm probably going to go with Brunson. How about you? I'm drunk on the Brunson Kool Aid right now, so it's yeah. almost unfair to Donovan Mitchell and what he's doing because I we could, like you said earlier, we could do this with a lot of players that you'll say, yeah, that guy's better than Jalen Brunson. But at this moment, I'm just riding the heater, riding the the confidence and the toughness that he brings to that team. So I'm there. And and it's interesting because the Cavs are 30 and 16. The Knicks are 32 and 17. They, For all intents and purposes, they have the same record. But I view the Knicks as this team that is rising, and I view the Cavs as a team that I'm still waiting to see. And I'm trying to figure out why. I think the Cavs have the same level of talent, maybe even slightly more talent when you talk about Mobley and Allen Garland and Donovan Mitchell like they maybe even have more talent but I feel like the Knicks have a better sense of who and what they are when they're fully healthy and what their identity is whereas with the Cavs their identity is almost their talent less though than some central thing I don't know if that's fair though well I no, I I agree I think that's a good that's a good point and I think also that you know when I think about the Mitchell Brunson comparison in general one thing that I think it's relevant. And look, this is a different team, different situation than what he had to do in Utah. But he's been in Cleveland now for a season. He had yeah. a postseason a year ago. If you look at Donovan Mitchell's efficiency in the playoffs relative to the regular season, I mean, it it, it drops. He's right. had he's had and you're talking about he's averaging in some of these years in the playoffs. He's averaging eight, nine, three point shots a game, and he's had three different postseasons where he was in the twenties in shooting percentage from the three point line. Um, he's 43% overall in the playoffs for his career from the field. And he's only had one year over 44% out of six, six postseason runs. So right. he, my point being, and look, and, and, I, and I know that, you know, you could probably look at numbers for a lot of guys and they drop incrementally because the defenses are a little tougher, less stuff's called more shots are right. contested theoretically, but he had, that's something that I did notice like in Utah, I felt like late game, he was going to have a harder time getting the shot he wanted. And I don't feel that way as much about Brunson. And I think that's something that that kind of edges me a little bit in his direction when I talk about the, the big game factor and, and coming through when their team needs them to be the exact same guy they were in the regular season. Yeah, I, I hope they don't match up again in the playoffs. I kind of want a different matchup. Even though I like these two teams and I feel like they're somewhat even, but past success plus just the run the Knicks are on, I have them ahead. Nonetheless, the Cavs are a really good story right now. The other game I want to get into really quickly here, Legs, is Lakers-Celtics last night. Classic, classic example, national television, Anthony Davis and LeBron James not playing in this one, so you think it's a throwaway. The Celtics, after going undefeated at home, are starting to make a habit of losing at home as they drop this game 114-105. Fell behind early, made a comeback, and then fell behind again late. What did you see in this one? As bad as the Boston Celtics have been all year. And it, it's it, it's inexcusable. And I, I typically am not a person that buys much into the, well, they were flat, didn't get up for their opponent because of who's playing. Because you know why? Typically, that only accounts for the beginning of the game or the first half of the game. At some point, it kicks in that, man, we're going to lose this game. And, like, you're just so much better. You've got so much more talent that you will turn it on. So I, I believe in maybe having a flat start on a given night because a team's resting guys. It doesn't look like they've got a roster to beat you. you got the best record in the league at home. Right. Everybody, here we go. But I actually feel like last night was one of the exceptions. They didn't look ready to play. They never, and they never really got their juice. It's inexcusable that they couldn't guard that team when they needed to. And they finally got it close. And it was just, let's get a few stops and take the lead. And then you could see them winning by 10 at that point. They weren't able to do it. They couldn't stop them when they needed to. Absolutely inexcusable. And they asked Missoula about it afterwards. I think a reporter asked him about, should they be embarrassed or 
did he use the word embarrassment? He really took offense to that as a horrible word to say to anybody in any circumstance life, right? Like telling someone they should be embarrassed is a terrible thing to tell someone. And it was funny because I was watching the Turner guys and and, and, and and Chuck and Shaq both said, "No, no, you need to tell them that." And You're I kind embarrassed. of embarrassed. Yeah, maybe it's from because we're from a different different era in the league, and, and it was kind of I don't know things were done differently, but I don't know. That's what I felt like though. Right from the beginning, I was just like, "Look at these guys! They they just didn't look ready." It's inexcusable to lose to that team without those two players. It just is at home. Can't happen, and yet it did. And give give Lakers credit. Some guys played really well. Austin Reeves was amazing. So the the quote from Missoula after the game reminded me of the Giannis quote last year about there there's no failures only lessons or or whatever however he phrased it where I understand the general point I think but maybe I'm being too charitable where I feel like we're losing the point on some of these things like you know there's an understanding of you can learn from every failure and I think Giannis twisted that just a little bit was it intentional or accidental i don't know and this one where Missoula was saying i think it's offensive to tell another man that you are that he's humiliated or this or that and i thought yeah this is sports that's the sports you tell your team that was humiliating that was a humiliating sure. loss and just to me it feels like fair game and i hated there's something i know we can't read too much into this i don't want to go too hot takey but there was something where i perked my ears up and i go no you lost to a team without their two best players on your own home court that's embarrassing it's okay to say that's embarrassing Listen, listen, man. I coached I coached a high level AAU team for years, and I remember a particular game. We played a team, and they were super undersized compared to us. They weren't on our level. We were a we were a shoe sponsored team right. on a national circuit, and we played a local tournament, and we lost to a team with a bunch of guys as small as our smallest guard, and they just flat out outworked us. They were too fast, too quick up the floor, and they got up into us and bothered us. And I told my team, and these were 15 to 16 year old kids. You guys should be embarrassed by that because they weren't, they didn't, they didn't stand their ground and fight back and right. start playing through it. They let the, all the circumstances envelop them. And my point is, you're not trying to humiliate anybody, but I think sometimes you have to call it what it is. That's what that was last night. That's an embarrassing loss. And, and we, we can say all we want to, oh, they're pros too. It's NBA. Yeah, I hear you, man. That team. That's a sub 500 team without their two best players. You cannot lose to that team at home. You just can't do it. And yet yeah. they did. So, yeah. and look, and they said certain things after the game. Look, in some ways, is this the kind of thing people can say that's ultimately going to be good for the Celtics in the regular season? Yeah, I guess so. Maybe this will prevent them from showing up flat the next time they play the Pistons or the Wizards or Charlotte. Yeah. Or somebody like that. Okay, yeah, maybe in the regular season. It has no bearing on the postseason because, my goodness, if you ever have a night where you're flat in the postseason, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong culturally if you're not ready to go because every team you play is going to come at you with a lot. So I don't think it's going to benefit them uh, in the postseason at all learning from this. Yeah, in the regular season, it probably will. They won't get caught like this again because Missoula is going to remind them of it every time they play a team with guys sitting or you're playing a, a one of the bottom feeders. So the Celtics might run into the same thing the Nuggets did last year, which is they have a good, comfortable cushion at number one seed in the East already. Four games up of the Bucks, five of the Knicks. Four and a half of the Bucks. I don't know that the Bucks are going to chase them. I am curious to see how that affects Boston down the stretch. Denver last year, remember, for the last month of the season, I mean, they dropped almost every game. They looked terrible, but they had that cushion, and they flipped the switch. I'm curious to see if Boston has a similar approach. And, and some of this is just human nature. If somebody's chasing you, how fast do you run? And so I, I think it is a sneaky thing that by virtue of how good they've been, it's going to be hard, I imagine, for them to maintain focus all the way through the finish line um, and we'll see if they have that, what Denver had last year, where it just doesn't matter. Um, Joel Embiid news last night, um, we got some weird updates. So the injury happens three days ago now, 24 hours pass by and we don't really get an update. Then all of a sudden, you know, okay, he's going back to Philadelphia, going to get a second opinion, this or that. And then it drops 48 hours after the initial injury, it drops that there was a torn, uh, meniscus. Then Shams, you can put the, the tweet up there from, um, 
from Woj there, Sixer star Joel Embiid has an injured lateral meniscus in his left knee and will be out through the weekend while a treatment plan is finalized. Sources tell ESPN, that's Adrian Wojnowski. Sharams had a slightly different worded one where he said it was a torn meniscus and then later corrected himself saying, um, let me clarify, not confirmed by the team whether it was torn or not. So this is a weird situation. One, we don't know the extent of the injury. We don't know how long he'll be out. We don't know when the injury happened. Did this happen against Indiana last week? Did it happen against the when, when Kaminga fell on him? We don't know any of this stuff. But nonetheless, I look at this and my takeaway is Embiid seems to always have a vague injury around this time of year. And then no matter what the, di- the, what it, the prognosis is, it just seems like it is something that lowers his elites, like the status he was at. I mean, he was the MVP. He was the best player in the NBA this year. It just feels ominous that we don't know what it is. And it feels to me like he's going to come back in a month and a half and look like 70% of himself. You might be right about all of that. And look, my, my, you know, history with it and just knowledge of, of the injury. When you have a meniscal issue, typically that means you have a tear, partial tear. And that right. usually means one of three things you either go in and repair it where you can basically sew it back together again and and then you rehab it one way you can remove the damaged part which is not necessarily preferable because you know that meniscus is basically your shock absorbers in the joint so you start taking some of that out you got a little bit less of that and when you have a big guy that's already had it actually you so but but that is that is an option you remove the damaged part and then the rest will regenerate and then or or it's a slight tear that you would now choose not to do anything surgically and you are going to allow it to heal on its own there's three different rehab and physical therapy protocols there's three different ways to to proceed they haven't said what they're going to do they haven't really even said that it actually is in fact a tear um, because typically if it is meniscus, there's something got to be at least a little bit torn or it's usually a strained ligament. Right. They haven't really given specifics on this stuff. So we got to just sit back and wait and see. But I think based on the fact he was already having a lot of issues with this knee, the swelling was persisting. He missed time. He came back. It swelled right up again. Okay. And in the night he was playing, we all could see what he looked like. He should have been on the court. He was definitely had no lift. He was hobbling around. He was not himself. That was pretty obvious. And there's a lot of reasons we get into as to why he played. This was not unrelated to that because a guy landed on it full body weight and hyperextended it. Okay, so now he's got the double down on the issues he's having with his left knee. You're 100% right. This is not going to shock me one bit if Joel Embiid is out weeks. Right. And ultimately – when he does come back, what's he going to look like? Is he going to be brand new? I think the only way that happens, Adam, is if happens what I said earlier. They literally shut him down right. for you know, till the end, to like mid to late March, and just give this guy six weeks, whatever they do with him, and bring him back when he feels at, as close to 100% as he has felt all season and try to keep him healthy for that last couple weeks of the regular season, and then hopefully a playoff run. Because I think you might be right. If you bring him back, you might see him now continue to deal with the stiffness and the swelling and in and out of the lineup the rest of the way, and then be really limited in a seven-game playoff series against somebody. Here's, Here's a silver lining I'll offer Philadelphia fans. I thought early in the year Tyrese Maxey didn't just look like a support piece. He looked like a star in and of his own right. And throughout most of the year, he's been very efficient. But you watched last night how different he plays when it's like, yeah. okay, I'm a main guy. And I think that they have two main guys. The way that the Nuggets have two main guys, the way that the Celtics have two main guys, the Lakers have two main guys. And I felt that one of the consequences of Joel Embiid's completely dominant stretch that he went through over the last six weeks or so, eight weeks, that – it swallowed up the maxi portion of that equation in a way that would come back to haunt them later on, that you didn't want to be too one-person focused. I think if there's a silver lining, there is a chance that Maxi steps up in a way we have not seen him even have an opportunity to, but performs at a level that not only keeps them afloat, but really gets him going in a way that when and if Embiid is able to come back, even if it's a month, a month and a half, two months later, that you could say, you know what? 
Maxi is not your sidekick. He is your equal here, and you can start to work on this two-man game and be a completely different team from what we've seen from the 76ers. They found regular season success, but Maxi dropped 51 points last night, Legs. I know this is the year of scoring, but even by his by that standard, he was on fire, and he looked like a guy that's just ready for that workload. So that's do you that's one silver lining I would throw to, to 76ers is we might get an elevated Maxi in a way that'll serve the team overall. Yeah, I love, I love that take, and I think there's a, probably a lot of truth in that. And we're going to find out exactly. You know, he did it last night for a game. For a Let's game, see yeah. how he does it for a stretch of games, yeah. and how can he maintain that ability to be that alpha. Where you know you look at this, it kind of reminds you of like what like a Lillard Portland team would look like, right? You got to take on that mindset now, where it's your team, and you not only have to go out there and like run the show to a certain extent. We need thirty on a bad night out of you, forty to fifty on a good night, just to keep our head above water. Because you know the support Harris has had a very good year. You hopefully that he can continue to breathe now that a secondary guy he did twenty eight last night and did it efficiently. The question then becomes after that, where's it going to come from? I mean, Kelly Oubre is probably the next most logical place to get it from. So, you know, can Maxi do it at a level that you know you're going to get some fluctuations out of those two guys? Can you be that good as the top guy night in and night out delivering 30-point games to keep your team, you know, winning while Embiid is out? And then if that happens, how then do he and Embiid mesh a little bit better and take some of the burden off Embiid maybe even more as you go into the postseason. I think it's all very fair, very good takes. He was so impressive last night, though, Maxi, because he was shooting the ball from so deep, and it wasn't hitting anything. I mean, the, and you know what's interesting? He and Brunson's lines. Last night, so Brunson goes into the game, no Randall. He knows now he's got no Julius Randall. It's a big game against Indiana. Maxi, no, they just find out they're not going to have a bead for a while. Both guys had one assist. It shows you – where they're able to go mentally for what their right. team needs in the moment and deliver in a big way. And you know what? Great Guys team. got news for you. Playmaking's kind of off my plate tonight. I got to go buckets. And they both were able to do it at a really high level and get wins. Tough shots too, man, from Maxi. I mean, he, he got easy ones at that speed getting to the rim, but he had some really tough shots, especially early in that game. Uh, the other piece of news, Steven Adams has been traded to the Houston Rockets. Victor Oladipo, who is probably not going to play, I, I don't even think it's questionable. I'm not. I couldn't figure out if he was going to play or just isn't. There's no timetable for him to return, but he's an expiring contract coming back to Memphis, so they get a little salary cap relief, which they need. They were a team that was spending a lot with the expectation of contending. You lose John Morant, of course, that goes out the window. So they open up some flexibility for next year. The Houston Rockets, interesting here. They have another year of Stephen Adams' deal. He's out for the year, but does he come back and back up? Shengun provides some toughness. Ime Adoka has talked about wanting more toughness on the roster where who's, who's tougher than Steven Adams, or they can open up $37 million in expiring contracts to trade next year. If the Houston Rockets look at their season and say, Hey, we were close. They're currently the 11 seed. Maybe they make the play and we're close. Can we trade? Can we use our $37 million in expiring contracts to bring in, you know, and those are guys like Jeff Green and Steven Adams, guys that you can afford to get rid of if you're bringing back a major piece. They now make themselves a trade candidate um, next year if they want to try to push their chips in. So, um, do you have any thoughts on? I just thought that was interesting on this deal is Memphis seems to be shedding salary cap and the Rockets seem to be positioning themselves for a big move. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I saw the trade go down. I was scrolling through the news. I gave it about a half of a second. I read <laughs> it. And I moved on. But you just, yeah. you just, as you often do, you dive deeper. <laughs> you created maybe a little more interest in that than there than there really should have been on the surface because I gave right. a superficial treatment. Like that didn't really do anything for me whatsoever. Uh, but you gave a reason why that actually might be something you know that could benefit them going forward. They just have they have pieces that they can trade and bring something back. So if you have thirty seven million dollars, and you're talking about they've they've long been rumored to maybe be getting off Jalen Green, so maybe that's the centerpiece. Uh, and now you have Jeff Green, and you have uh, uh, this new big contract in Stephen Adams. You can get a good player for that. So we'll see. They could be play, they could be players in the offseason. And then last piece of news, the biggest piece of news: All Stars star uh, All Star reserves have been announced. Emma, did we get a graphic on these with West? I don't, I don't remember if we did or did not. If we did, we'll pull it up. If not, I'll go through them here. Um, yes, the West, we have Luka, Kevin Durant, Shea, LeBron, and Jokic as your starters. The reserves will be Booker, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, 
Anthony Edwards, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Carl Anthony Towns. We don't have to do the snub thing, but I am curious just what you think of if this would have matched your list or if there's a player that you say, you know what, I hate that this player didn't make it. Well, I really felt like De'Aaron Fox probably deserved a spot on the team. He would be at the top of the list. Um, I actually maybe have a little bit more feelings for uh, Jamal Murray, too, than maybe some people. I know he did miss 14 games, and you know statistically he's not blowing anybody away, and they have Jokic, so they're, they're covered. At least they got somebody in there. For the Sacramento Kings, it kind of gets skipped over because you look at it just going down the standings, right? T-Wolves get two, OKC gets one, Clippers get two, Nuggets get one. Skip the Kings, Suns get two, right? And then, then, yeah, then Dallas, Lakers get two. Like, you just keep going. But they just skip over this team that's eight games over 500. De'Aaron Fox is averaging 27 points a game. Now, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm big on this. You can't just say somebody should be on the team. You have to also say who who you're replacing. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And anybody can just say, yeah, he should be be an all-star. Well, then take somebody off. So my question for you is, you have any issue whatsoever with, uh, you know, basically four guys. Now, Clippers have had a lot of team success, right? They're up to third in the West, right. but you got Paul George on there right? over a guy like De'Aaron Fox. You've got teams that are 500 or below with the Lakers and the Warriors. And these are, listen, these are legendary, iconic names. I get it. LeBron, AD, and Curry. And I, I have no problem Curry being on team LeBron, but, you know, how about AD? Like, does team success matter enough when you start talking about some of these guys, particularly when you're that dominant statistically like De'Aaron Fox? He's 27 and 9. Some people might even say Sabonis, but I'm, I'm, I would lean more toward Fox. I think Fox, that team goes as Fox goes offensively. So I would probably lean toward him, and they're eight games over 500, and and nobody nobody gets picked because you've got this stable of, of household names, right? The the, the guys that I think are needle movers for in terms of people's interest. What do you think? I'm yeah. curious to get your thoughts on that. So I'll start with this one that the, my first thing I didn't love about the voting was Carl Anthony Towns is having a good year, but the, the Timberwolves are number one because of their defense and their de- defense is number one because of Rudy Gobert. So if you tell me Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, both are the representatives of that team. To me, I look at it and I go, yeah, but that those two guys miss what makes the Timberwolves special. What makes them special is their defense. So to me, Gobert would have gotten in over Carl Anthony Towns if we were picking a second player from Minnesota. When you go to the second players, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, Paul George, Anthony Davis, I'm with you that sadly Anthony Davis to me is more deserving than LeBron James, but LeBron James got voted in. So I look at that and I go, I'm sorry, you're a 10 seed? You don't get two guys. You just don't get it. Uh, And then I even look, and this is the craziest one, you look at the Golden State Warriors, and I know this is a fan thing. Like this is, you know, it's for the fans. Steph Curry makes every basketball game, whether it's a real playoff or exhibition game, he makes it more fun. So I'm not like upset about this, but I do look at it and I go, they're two spots out of the playoffs, not one, two spots out of the play-in, four out of the playoffs. And I just look at that one and I go, we're at a weird point in time where players are playing longer than ever. But their legacies don't diminish. Steph Curry, LeBron James, they, they're they just like you pencil them in whether they seem to deserve it or not. And I don't know that Steph Curry doesn't deserve it. I just know that the, him getting in and the Lakers getting two guys on legacy sure makes it hard to award it properly. So I don't love it. I would take out Anthony Davis. I might even take out Paul George. And I'm curious what you think of this. Paul George on talent belongs to be there. Kawhi is their most important player. And I feel like James Harden is their second most important player, not best player but he's just the most important to what they do. So Paul George would have missed out just by the default of, I'm not sure he's as valuable as some of the other guys to their respective teams. No, I, I think it's well said. That's kind of how I felt about it. I just I just felt like if I was going to take one off and add Darren Fox, it probably would have been Paul George or yeah. Anthony Davis. I think one of those two guys, because of what you said. I also saw something in the comments over here. A couple people chimed in. And, you know, Now we switch shift over to the East. And are saying, oh, well, where's Scotty Barnes? How can right. how can Paolo Bancara make it over Scotty Barnes? I'm sorry, man. The Raptors are 13 games under 500. 13 right. games. They've won 17 games as we sit here headed into All Star break. I'm sorry. As much as I, as much as I love Scotty Barnes' potential and I love his all around game, you've got to reward somebody from the Orlando Magic. Okay, they're two games over 500 with a roster that does not 
belong two games over 548 games into the season. It just doesn't. And Bancaro's been hands, head and shoulders, their best player. He's got multiple game-winning shots uh, for that team. He's their go-to guy, uh, plays hard. And, and it, they're, they're, they're one of the more overachieving rosters in the league. And they're solidly right now two games over 508 spot. And Toronto is in 12th, 13 games under. I'm sorry. No, you're wrong. You might think we might, you want to debate who's the better player. Let's have a debate about that. But I think winning has to account when you start getting close to those last spots. And that's not even close. They're eight games better than the Toronto Raptors. Paolo Bancaro deserves a spot on this team. I think you could make the argument, and look, there are differences, but you could make the argument that Trey Young is putting up pretty identical numbers to Steph, albeit on significantly worse efficiency. So that matters. That's why it's different. But you could make the argument that he did not get the love from All-Star because they're a 10 seed. They're 20 and 27. Well, the Warriors are 20 and 24, basically the same, and Steph is like a lock to make it. So there is a little bit of this where I feel the voters pushed back on team success for certain guys like Scotty Barnes, like Trey Young, and I applaud it. But they did not do it for the legacy guys like Anthony Davis and uh, Steph Curry, and it kind of sucks. But if you bring it back up, Emma, so we can just look at the at the Eastern Conference here. I only have – I don't really mind this one at all. I Actually, it's very defensible. But I have – and yep. it feels like a hot take. The same way that I said Paul George might be the second best player, but Jaylen, uh, but James Harden is the second most important player, I think you could say the same about Jalen Brown and Chris Stapps Porzingis where I think Jalen Brown is a better player. But when you look at what is most needed from their team, Porzingis might be more important than Jalen Brown. So that's the one where I personally probably slot Porzingis in ahead of Jalen Brown. But I, it's not a take I'm willing to like – it's not a hill I'm going to die on. It's just an observation. That's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't go there. I, I think the reason for me what separates those two guys is Jalen Brown's guarding from 30 feet to the rim. And and his defensive yeah. capability and, and the guys that he has to guard every night. Look, Porzingis is an impactful defensive player, but primarily the action's got to come to him. Jalen Brown goes out and has to chase the action. He has to guard the action on the perimeter. And that's a to me, that's that's a big difference. Man, you're also going out there and you know, you're getting basically 25 a night for the most part. Um, so I I'm I'm cool with Jalen Brown. I didn't really have much of an issue whatsoever with the Eastern Conference yeah. roster. Um, yeah. I had I wrote down a few names that would be like the next guys. Um, Jimmy Butler, Trey Young, and then you start getting into the Scotty Barnes, Kale Bridges, DeMar Rosen type guys. And then yeah, there's one guy left, though. There's one guy that and, – and by the way, he might get added because I, I think there's a good chance that B does not play. I'd be shocked, actually, if he plays. And uh, Randall might be out. Right. He for sure, for sure. Right. So you got you got two spots, Adam. So who they going to? I think Jared Allen should get one of those spots. I like that. I like that. He's impactful. Like who's more impactful than him? You know, he makes a huge impact. And you're talking about you know they're they're 14 games over 500. They're a half. They're one game out of the two spot in the Eastern Conference. So if if a team's gonna you know. And they might be two by the time it's all said and done. The way they're playing right now, they might be two going into the to the All Star game. Why they why not get two guys if you're the Cavs? And I think Jared Allen, with what he does with just double doubles every night, and then the and then the rim protection, man, that, like what he gives them defensively as a last line of defense is special. But then there'd be one more spot if Randall doesn't play. So I'll let you pick that one. If if we man. agree that Allen gets one, who gets the other one, Adam? I don't know if I care about this enough, to be honest with you, because to your point in the West, you could go through. We just went through a list of guys where you're like, you feel bad that they missed out in the East. I don't really feel bad for any of the guys. No, that no, no. I, I, that's actually a good way to put it. You're right. It's not like it's not like, man, you know, I, like the Darren Fox in particular, like, wow, are you right. kidding me? Like they didn't get one guy. So that's an obvious one. If somebody drops out, it would be it's going to be Fox. I'd be shocked if it's not. But. In the East, you're right. I, it gets, and I, I don't even know necessarily there'd be a consensus for Jared Allen. That's my pick. Right, right. We still would need, we still would need one more. And the Heat, the know. way they played and the way they have fallen off, um, I don't think it comes from there. So, in that case, do you go a third guy for the Celtics? Does Porzingis get in? 
Yeah, that man, that feels like what would happen, and I don't necessarily love that. As much as I love arguing for Pazingas over Brown, I don't necessarily need, think you need to give them all a spot. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. I do think we're going to have some replacements, so we'll see what happens. I wish that there was no limit east versus west because then we can get some of these west guys in. But alas, that's not how it's going to work. Um, all right, we got to get into the weekend, though, here. As we always do, we ask, who won the week this year, this week in the NBA? Presented by uh, DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember, use code ALLNBA. Legs, I have four nominees for you, but really I have two nominees. I have the Cleveland Cavaliers as a team. They went 4-0 this week, and they got wins over the Milwaukee Bucks with, and over the Clippers. They've won 12 of 13 if you extend the run, but they've won four in a row. And then the Knicks, who have run four in a row, and including 9-0 going back three weeks. And then if you break it down by player, Jalen Brunson, 33 points a game. Donovan Mitchell, 32.5 points per game. They both have been phenomenal for the respective teams. So we talked about both of them at the top. But if you had to pick one out of those four options of who won the week, where would you go? I'd go Cavaliers as a team. That's Ooh. that's that's where I would go. I, I just – I absolutely love the way they're playing right now. And, you know, it, truthfully, both teams – and both players, I'm talking about the, the uh, Cavs and the Knicks and Brunson and Mitchell, all are winners of the week. And it really comes down to how it's connected to Joel Embiid. Think about the impact that this is going to have. If the Sixers, say Embiid stayed healthy and the Sixers just kept winning at the same rate, well, one of those two teams, the Knicks or the Cavs, would have to probably go on the road in right. the first yeah. round and play the other one, right? And that'd be, right. that'd be some kind of series, man. Knicks, Cavs, you want to talk about. You want to talk about a war and the way those teams defend with two-star guards. That would be fun. But now the dynamic is totally different. Now I, I think there's a very good chance that that's your 3-4. They both get to play at home in the first round. That's a big difference. And then the second thing is the Knicks now and Cavs, the Bucks are within striking distance. And the Bucs now are trying to, you know, they're trying to get used to a new coach and they they lost their first two games with Doc. And he's got to feel, it won't feel like his team for probably a month, honestly, yeah, walking in that right. locker room. So that's going to be an adjustment period. You now have a situation where if you're the Knicks or the Cavs, like number two is now in sight. And that's huge because now you host two rounds and you potentially are at home court all the way until you'd have to play a team like Boston in the conference finals. That's what's at stake. When you start looking at the three, four, five in the Eastern Conference, and that's what is happening now with Embiid going out. So both of these teams, man, they're playing great basketball. Their stars are playing great, playing a little bit shorthanded, at least in case of the Knicks. And they're now going to try to take advantage of this void that's been created with Joel Embiid's injury. You can make an argument for the Cavs. Another reason they won the week is because they got their guys back. Mobley and Garland both returning this week, so that's a big emotional boost to them. Albeit, you know, you lose Jared Allen to an ankle tweak. Doesn't look like it'll be too bad, but he might miss a few games, which by the way, could be good for them. I'm actually, you know, Jared Allen played so well in Mobley's absence and now Mobley might get a short run, but maybe two, three games without uh, Jared Allen. Yes, they're better together, but you know, give him an opportunity to get his rhythm going and become the focal point. Maybe that'll help out. But if I were picking, I would go with the Knicks. Here, the biggest, the biggest thing for me, legs, I'm Denver guy. I'm small market guy. I, I'm here in flyover country, right? Flyover state. <laughs> East Coast doesn't care about Colorado. And yet, here I am cheering on the Knicks and falling in love with this team. That's an incredible accomplishment. I never root for the big markets. I never root for the uh, the coastal cities. But that Knicks team, too lovable. I have to love them. That Knicks crowd, too incredible. I have to love them. Uh, so for me, they won the week. All right, let's just quickly go through the weekend. Tonight, the games that I have singled out. The Kings are at the Pacers. I think that's a very fun game. You also get that Halliburton. I know it's been a while, but you get the Halliburton versus old team. Uh, you've got the Magic at the Wolves. I like that one, a, a battle of very good defense defenses. On Saturday, the Lakers go to the Garden and take on the Knicks. Are LeBron and Anthony Davis playing? Probably at the Garden, I think they'll play. That should be a fun one. It's on ABC. The Bucks are at the Mavs on Saturday. And then on Sunday, you have the Clippers at the Heat and the Bucks at the Jazz. Those were my games of the weekend. Anything stand out to you, Legs? Uh, I'm really curious about this Suns, uh, the Kings Pacers, right? So now we just talked about De'Aaron Fox not making the All-Star team. You got a guy that did get voted in as a Ooh, starter, Halliburton. Yeah. Let's see if De'Aaron Fox turns that up a notch. That's gonna be fun tonight. I like when you find those storylines. You're right, a little personal, a little personal rivalry, perhaps uh, there. I like it. Um, so good weekend, not a great weekend of games, but a good weekend slate should give us stuff to talk about. 
Everybody, thanks so much for hanging with us all week. Another great show in the books, Legs. Um, any final notes? No, man. I'm not, this is, we're, we're now getting into that part of the year, Adam. We're, everything takes on more significance and more importance, and it's nice. We're halfway through the season. All-star break coming, and it's a sprint to the playoffs. So I just think every one of these shows now, the storylines are going to be more impactful, the game's more meaningful, um, and I'm just looking forward to a great run here. Oh, we had a super chat, Emma. Don't let me forget it. Do you have that uh, earmarked? I saw it here. Super dope hip hop tells us Hallie, 20 minutes, 22 minutes versus thir uh, 30 plus at Boston, New York. Cost my Pacers two W's. This is to Legs' point earlier. No Matherin hurt too, and he should start. No Jarris, TJ, Ijax, weird by Carlisle, healed Turner at deadline. Peace to healed and Turner at the deadline. That's a little wild, a little aggressive. But he's with you. He did not like that his team could have grabbed these wins, but instead they get losses because of the minutes restriction. So yeah, I found it. I found it strange. I go back. It takes me back to when Zion first started playing after he missed all that time to start his career, and he was playing like 18 minutes, and and and, and he would have to get a lead middle of the fourth quarter. He'd have to trot off and watch them lose game after game. I don't know if you're ready to go play, unless you put your hand up and say I'm a little tired to get the guy out, but to go in with a set number, I've just never understood it for minutes. The Pacers are not going to have home court. So at least you don't have to sweat that. If they're the five, the six, or the seven, it's just matchups. So they'll be healthy. If they're healthy when it matters, it'll be exciting. Everybody, thanks for hanging with us. Hit the like button on the way out. We'll see you on Monday. We all silly like the mayor. 